Tennessee Wildcast is live on the air with the latest on hunting, fishing, boating, and all things outdoors. Make welcome your host, drummer and outdoor expert novice, Jason Harmon. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of Tennessee Wildcast. I'm Jason Harmon, and I'm your host. We're here today, and we're going to be talking about CWD. Uh, That's chronic wasting disease. A lot of our shows cover this topic, and you see it a lot on our social media. But uh, here in Tennessee, we are thankful that we do not have CWD, and we want to provide the most information we can to Tennessee sportsmen and women and the wildlife watchers uh, so that you all can uh, know what to be aware of and how you can help prevent the disease from entering our state. Chronic wasting disease is, is always fatal and it affects cervid species. And in Tennessee, our cervid species that you'll see mostly are deer and elk. During the uh, Tennessee Fish and Wildlife Commission meeting a few weeks ago, Dr. Kristen Schuler visited us from Cornell University. She's been helping us with a risk-based surveillance uh, plan for chronic wasting disease. She gave a presentation and I wanted to share that with you all today. But risk-based surveillance supplies risk assessment methods for early detection and management of disease or hazards. And hazards are activities or situations that could introduce or distribute CWD or chronic wasting disease. This is a a much more cost-effective system than traditional surveillance, so it's a good plan, good place to start. Some of the goals for the risk assessment uh, and surveillance plan is to provide information to guide decisions on CWD sampling, uh, and then hopefully we can find the earliest intrusion into the state, gives us the best opportunity for a management response, and hopefully the ability to eradicate the disease from the state if we can find it early enough. Uh, Once a disease is established, management strategies must change. So uh, to maximize likelihood of detection, the first CWD positive, Dr. Schuller will hit, you know, all these ideas on how we can uh, change our strategies and and hopefully keep CWD from coming into our state. We want to make sure Tennessee is CWD free for a long time. Uh, So now here's the deer program leader for TWRA, Mr. James Kelly. He's going to introduce Dr. Schuler, and uh, you're going to hear a great presentation. Stay with us. My name is James Kelly. I'm the deer management program leader. Uh, It is my pleasure uh, to introduce to you today a very special guest speaker, Dr. Kristen Schuler. Dr. Schuler, is or has very recently in the past few years become one of the foremost voices on chronic wasting disease or CWD prevention and CWD surveillance in the country. Dr. Schuler is a disease ecologist and the co-director of the Cornell Wildlife Health Lab at Cornell University in Ithaca, New York, and that's the state of New York, not New York City. Um, Dr. Schuler uh, lives on a farm there in, um, in upstate New York. Um, but in her professional capacity. She works very closely with New York State's Wildlife Agency and their Wildlife Health Program. And it's actually, that's actually where I had the, uh, the pleasure of getting to know Dr. Schuler uh, during my brief stint in New York State. Uh, and that's also where I got to learn firsthand about the risk-based CWD surveillance plan that she developed for New York State. And it wasn't long after I started here at TWA that I reached out to Dr. Schuler and started a conversation about uh, perhaps her helping us develop a similar plan for Tennessee. Uh, and thanks to the commission, your foresight, and our director, um, director's foresight um, for setting aside funding 
for chronic wasting disease prevention, response, uh, and surveillance, we were able to turn those conversations into a scope of work and then shortly after into a contract. And we've been working on this project for a little over a year now, uh, and we're at the, at the final stages of it. Uh, it's been a collaborative, a collaborative effort, and especially within the agency. Uh, I'd like to publicly thank uh, Cape Taylor and the rest of the law enforcement division for helping us uh, with the CWD risk assessment uh, portion of this project and our regional biologists for also um, helping us with the risk assessment. Uh, I want to clarify there's no action required by the committee today. We just really wanted to share with the committee, uh, the commission, and members of the public the results of this assessment and the uh, resulting cutting-edge surveillance strategy that we'll be implementing this fall. And we're really proud of it, and we hope you will be too. Uh, without further ado, please join me in giving a warm Tennessee welcome to Dr. Kristen Schuler. Well, thank you very much. It's an honor and a pleasure to be here. The elk trip this morning with the commission was really a, a, a great benefit, so I appreciate the opportunity to be here to talk about this plan. Uh, as James mentioned, this was work that I started in New York, and don't tell them, but I think our Tennessee plan's a little bit better. So, um, what we're doing now is trying to expand uh, the surveillance of chronic wasting disease from tr what is considered traditional surveillance to more of a risk-based approach. And this allows for earlier detection and a greater breadth of management options if you can find the disease at a very early stage. So these risk-based designs are used often in public health, economic, or, or trade situations where there might be an important role in the selection of hazards. So in this case, we're talking about things that could cause uh, or introduce disease. So. When we're talking about chronic wasting disease, I know that you have all heard about this disease already, and so I don't need to go into a great bit of detail on it, but just to remind you that it isn't always fatal prion disease of cervid species. So for this plan, we're focusing uh, directly on white-tailed deer. We saw elk this morning, but for elk, uh, it's a different situation where we do want to sample every elk that we get our hands on. So this is primarily white-tailed deer that we'll talk about today. And with this uh, early detection methodology, you can identify the hazards ahead of time. And that was uh, what James mentioned, that we had a lot of help in doing this from all uh, different people in the resource agency. And, and it wouldn't have been possible without their contribution. And with this system, it provides a better cost-effective uh, system than what you would have with traditional surveillance. And I believe the, the plan is included in your packet today um, if you want more detailed information on these. So we'll just go through relatively quickly. I had to update this map from uh, the one that's in your plan because uh, CWD was recently discovered in Quebec, very close to uh, Ontario and very close to, to New York State. It was found on a captive facility, so that dot is in red as it has not been depopulated yet. On the map, uh, the places where CWD has been discovered in the wild is, are in gray. Those are the counties where it's been discovered. And then where it's been in captive cervid facilities, those are in yellow if they've been depopulated, red if they have not been depopulated. 
So the goals for this risk assessment and surveillance plan are to provide information to guide decisions regarding CWD sampling in Tennessee. By finding CWD at the earliest intrusion into the state, it allows TWRA the opportunity to mount a management response to eradicate the disease. Once CWD is established on the landscape, there is little chance of elimination and man management strategies must change. So having a clear surveillance plan for which sex and age classes should be sampled and from where they should be collected helps base a comprehensive risk assessment to focus on that sampling distribution on the areas and classes of animals most likely to identify the disease first. So at this time, uh, CWD is not known to exist in Tennessee, but uh, the previous sampling efforts have focused primarily on samples of convenience rather than areas uh, uh, focused on the greatest risk. So one thing that we really want to do with this is uh, think about those locations. The past surveillance efforts we'll go through first uh, started in 2002. A lot of states started doing their surveillance in 2002, and that was primarily related to the discovery of CWD in Wisconsin in wild white-tailed deer. So a lot of states ramped up then. Like other states, it was sort of uh, higher surveillance at the beginning and then fell off for a little bit. But in the past two years, if you notice down at the bottom, uh, surveillance numbers have rebounded and have been about 2,000 animals each year. And if we look at the locations of those past two years where most of the surveillance has been done, uh, Weekly and Roan counties have been uh, sampled most extensively uh, in the past two years, while other counties, some of those bordering states that do have CWD have not been sampled very extensively. So what we find is not all CWD samples have been created equal. We know from locations that have chronic wasting disease that uh, adult males or bucks have a higher prevalence rate. So those samples are uh, a higher value. We know that um, fawns are unlikely to test positive because they haven't been on the landscape as long. But regardless of sex and age, we want to make sure that we sample any animals that are appearing abnormal or sick, and those are our highest priority, and we always want to get a sample from those. But in situations where you have hunter-harvested animals or roadkill or other vehicle collision type things, uh, we do prioritize uh, the older adult animals, primarily bucks. So this weighted surveillance has been published previously, most recently by Chris Janelle using data out of Wisconsin. Uh, and this prioritizes these sex and age classes based on the likelihood of finding the disease. So what we've done is actually adapted the weights that Wisconsin has used to just make them sort of simpler numbers for uh, understanding when certain counties reach their point quotas. And I'll get into that a little bit more, where bucks are worth three points, does are worth half of that at one and a half, yearlings of either sex are worth one point, and fawns are... Uh, no value and ideally should not be sampled because if you can get a, a valuable sample from a buck, it, it costs the same amount to test a buck as it does a fawn. So you're getting, uh, you're actually sampling smarter at that point, not harder. So if we look at the past two years and the surveillance that's already been done and apply those point values to the deer that have been collected, we can see that uh, the statewide, we've achieved about 3,000 points in the past two years. And this 3,000 point value is significant 
because when we go into the Bayesian weighted surveillance models and look at that, that allows us to say we have 95% confidence that we would be able to detect the disease at a 0.1% prevalence rate, which is, is relatively good. Um, and that's what we're going for. So this also allows us to know that the sampling effort that this TWRA has already done is achievable uh, in, future, in the future. So going into the spatial locations, we actually built a risk-based surveillance model using three inputs. The first being the deer population density, because if the deer aren't there, you're not going to have the disease and you won't be able to get samples. So obviously that needs to be a component. Uh, neighboring states hazards, so we surveyed the southeast states, and then D CWD potential introduction and spread via taxidermist processors and captive cervid facilities. Now obviously hunters bringing animals home, not taking them to one of these businesses is something that we were not able to assess, and that is a factor, but uh, that's very difficult to do. So starting with the deer population density, we don't know the actual population density, so we use the deer harvested per square mile as a, a proxy for that, which this ranges from uh, 0.5 deer per square mile all the way up to um, closer to almost seven deer per square mile. The next part of this was uh, hazards associated with uh, neighboring states where CBD may or may not occur. So if we look at states that are just uh, sharing a border with Tennessee, Mississippi is the most recent addition to that list where they found CWD in wild white-tailed deer in 2018. Wild elk and white-tailed deer were found in Arkansas in 2015. Captive white-tailed deer were discovered in Missouri in 2010 and wild white-tailed deer in 2012 wild white-tailed deer in Virginia in 2010, and then although we didn't include it um, as a, a neighboring state to Tennessee, uh, West Virginia also found it in wild white-tailed deer in 2005. One of the risk factors that we considered was the number of captive cervid facilities, and so we made a cutoff value of more than 100 captive cervid facilities. In general, the, the southeast states are not in sort of the larger numbers of captive cervid facilities that you would find in places like Texas, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Ohio, but uh, we thought that a greater number of those might present a larger risk. So those states that have more than 100 are Missouri, Alabama, and Mississippi. We also considered uh, CWD past surveillance. So if states were doing a minimal level of surveillance, which we used as a cutoff, as less than 1,000 samples per year. and many of the southeast states are not sampling that intensively for CWD. And we consider this to be problematic um, because they would not be able to detect the disease in a reasonable amount of time. And hunters going to those states might bring back an animal that uh, was not detected because they're not doing an, an adequate level of surveillance for this. There's not many states that permit uh, importation of live captive cervids with the exception of Missouri and obviously they've had um, some court issues around that uh, situation recently. So we did consider that as a factor at the time when we were doing the survey. 
The Southeast does permit baiting and or feeding in some capacity in most of the states. So that was pretty much read across the board. And then a lot of the states still allow whole carcasses to be imported from states that have not detected CWD as yet. And again, this is an, an issue because of the delay in finding the disease where it may have been on the landscape for a long time, like in Arkansas, where uh, you're allowing carcasses to come in from that state and they have not actually detected the disease yet. So when we total all those potential risk activities up, we gave them just a basic you know, point for each one of those and uh, then scored them associated with that and we'll assign risk points to those states uh, in our model. The third component of the model is CWD introduction and spread associated with businesses. And this is where the effort uh, by the TWRA agency really came in to do a field survey to assess those hazards where they actually went out to all these businesses. Um, the list we were given was 484 businesses. They completed the survey in four months. Uh, we found that um, about 300 or 100 of those were out of business. So we had about 300 active businesses and the survey completion rate by the agency was about 96%. So they got out to all of them. So this was a huge effort uh, in doing this. We know that there were 237 taxidermists, 122 meat processors, and then six taxidermists slash meat processors that were successfully contacted uh, for interviews. 75% of the taxidermists and 83% of the meat processors have uh, received animals from outside of Tennessee. So that's a, a relatively high proportion of these businesses do have animals coming in from outside. So with any disease process, it's not just enough to have the disease come in, it has to get out there on the landscape where it can be exposed uh, to wild deer. So we asked them about their disposal methods. And what we found was that 37% of the taxidermists and 22% of the processors used methods that could leave prions in the landscape, such as open pits, composting, uh, discarded on the ground, or fed to other animals. 69% uh, of the businesses overall used a landfill or rendering service that would make the prions unavailable uh, to wild cervids or scavengers. We also assessed the captive cervid facilities, and of the 88 known licensed facilities, we were only able to collect data on 21, which were classified as preserves, uh, or known to have elk or other relevant non-native species, such as reindeer. 75% of these facilities have elk, red deer, or mule deer that are known to be naturally susceptible to CWD. Uh, for some of them, we did try to ask about uh, the the quality of their fencing, uh, non-compliance issues, and things of that nature. But this is an area where uh, better cooperation with the Tennessee Department of Agriculture could be strengthened. Um, in New York, we do have a system for white-tailed deer operations where it's, it's jointly administered for uh, between the, the Ag and Wildlife Agency. I know that you don't have uh, captive whitetail in the same way that you do have other species, but with the high fence operations where whitetail could be coincidentally held that are not currently regulated, that might be an area um, for further uh, investigation. 
we did an online survey of the subject matter action team members to apply risk weights to these different hazards. And this was administered through an online survey where we ranked these hazards uh, for taxidermist processors and captive servant operations. And we asked them about things like disposal methods, animals coming in from outside the state, numbers of animals handled, and other activities like being a wildlife rehabilitator or having live captive servants on the premises. On the captive servant side, we asked about things like fence quality, importation, compliance issues. Uh, if they ran a, a preserve with a shooting operation or had any other additional activities. So to get to sort of the meat of the plan and, and what we actually have to do on the ground this year, uh, we put the risk weights together with the hazards for each locality for each uh, location and then aggregated those by county. And we knew that we wanted to get back to about that 3,000 point range. So asking uh, the SMAT team what they thought the breakout should be, they said they wanted to apportion about 1,000 of those points based on the deer density and about 2,000 based on the risks, which gets us to the 3,000 points. And then it's just sort of some algebra to convert the number of risk points that we have to the points that we need to reach the sampling quotas. So this is just a reminder of the testing that was done last year. These are the point quotas uh, for what we're asking for this year. And just to remind you, these point quotas are goals to reach. So this is what we're asking TWRA to go out and try to get this number of points and they can reach it by getting adult bucks. Again, the three points, one and a half for adult does, and then one point for yearlings. The difference uh, between last year and this year uh, is shown in this map where there's more sampling occurring in the red areas and uh, less sampling occurring in the blue areas. So this is a lot of number crunching uh, to keep track of. So we did build a database to make sure that the agency has full control over all these numbers. They can change them as needed as the plan needs to be updated. But one of the key components is to make sure, uh, this is just showing uh, a screenshot of the database, if any of you are familiar with access, that uh, all these model parameters are in there and can be uh, changed relatively easily as needed. And then within the database for each year uh, is the county point quota and then as uh, those samples are being collected, those demographic point values are applied to that. When the testing results come back from the lab, those go into the database so we can keep track of them. And then on a regular basis, weekly, twice a week, uh, reports can go out to the biologist to let them know how close they are to that reaching that point quota so that they don't have to expend more effort uh, than they already have in collecting samples. So just to give you an example, I just randomly picked Hardin County, uh, the sampling for this year. The deer density for that was estimated to be uh, about four deer harvested per square mile, which gives an average of uh, 17 points out of that 1,000 that we wanted statewide. 
from the risk points. We know that there were 11 processors and taxidermists in business in that county. There were no captive servant facilities, but the neighboring state is uh, Mississippi, which basically had all the risk factors that we identified. So we have a larger number of points coming from risk associated uh, with that county. So the total point quota for that county is 71. Last year, there was only one deer sampled in this county. So this year, there's a variety of different ways to reach that 71 point quota. You could collect 24 bucks and work with the taxidermy uh, program that has been in effect since 2015. You could collect 48 does or 71 yearlings at one point apiece or any combination of those uh, to, to try to reach that quota. So uh, with that, I'm happy to uh, uh, take any questions. <laughs> Yes, uh, Dr. Schuler, um, one question. Um, where do you feel? I know. I feel like as a commission, we've we've tried to do everything possible from importation to the uh, banning of natural urines. Um, I do feel like there's still some some stronger things our partners can do with the Department of Ag. What what do you feel like our highest threat is right now? CWD coming in. Uh, right now, I think that you still have um, a lot of hunters that probably go out of state and they might not be necessarily paying attention to the carcass ban quite yet. And so I think getting the word out that that ban is in effect, making sure that they, they know that it's out there is, is really important. And I think that you can work with uh, the taxidermists and processors to, to help educate people because they do worry. We've had... Um, uh, these businesses call and say, hey, I got a, a whole deer in from out of state and I don't want to touch it because I know that these people shouldn't be bringing it in. But making sure that you have that um, that well established as far as a communication strategy. With the captive servid facilities, there was a lot of um, confusion on my part trying to sort out uh, the different rules for each one and, and we went back and forth and I know that uh, a lot of the TWRA folks talked to TW, TDA and uh, seem to have a good working relationship there. It's it's good that you can't bring in <coughs> white-tailed deer because that's a huge risk, but the um, Quebec situation, that was a red deer and there's, there's so much movement of captive cervids around the country and We've been asking USDA for years now to provide an epidemiological picture of nationally what it looks like, and they have not been able to present that because record keeping is usually relatively poor and or difficult based on sort of the, the spider webs that go out from these facilities. So import of any kind of captive servants could be problematic. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you. All right. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Uh, it's a, it was a great presentation and some good information there. And we hope uh, y'all enjoyed this. If you want to watch the presentation, you can do so at tenwildlife.org. Once you're there, click on the commission tab and uh, that'll take you to all things Tennessee Fish and Wildlife Commission. Scroll down the page and all the commission meetings are right there. You can watch uh, all of them, even back to 2012. So if you want to catch up and follow up, uh, follow along with uh, the Tennessee Fish and Wildlife Commission, 
tmwildlife.org is the place to do it. Well, thanks for being with us. We'll see y'all next time right here on Tennessee Wildcast. Thanks for tuning in. Stay connected with TWRA by visiting our website at tnwildlife.org and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hey, it's all about Tennessee wildlife. It's what we do. Tennessee Wildcast will be on the air again next week. We'll see you then.